Amen. Good morning. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And this morning we are going to be in Psalm 90. So if you would go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 90. Uh, this is a standalone sermon called A Prayer for the Disoriented. I'm sure many of us can, uh, can associate with that term given the events of the last few months, few years. Uh, if you have family at all, you can associate with that term. Family can be very disorienting. Life is just disorienting in terms of what it throws at us. And so we have a, a pattern in God's word, a way in which we can pray that I hope will be helpful to us all uh, as, as it was given for the church for its worship, and we want to continue in that. Uh, and so as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth. It's this, that our disorientation should lead us to orient by God's character, honestly express our disorientation to him, and reorient in obedience according to his promises. Let me say that again. Our disorientation should lead us to orient by God's character, honestly express our disorientation to him, and reorient in obedience according to his promises. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord uh, our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, <clears throat> there's a historical context to the Psalms that, that uh, I need to give you a little bit of background on so that you can better understand the weight of this particular Psalm. If you don't know, the Psalms are broken up into five distinct books. Usually, well, you can tell the end of a book when it ends with, uh, bless the Lord our God, amen, and amen. When that, that double amen lets you know you're transitioning to a new book. 
the five books, it is uh, tempting to see that as maybe matching the five books of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Some have tried to make that argument, but more importantly, it actually follows the kingship, the earthly kingship of David in the first two books, Solomon's reign in book three, and then God's reign in books four and five because the people have been sent into exile. The greatest disorientation that you can have. Now, I often say, I'm teaching through the Psalms on Tuesday morning in our Tuesday group. I try to make it very clear. Every Psalm is not applicable to everybody on every day. Did you hear what I just said? Every Psalm is not applicable to everybody on every day. Too often, I think, we try to make all things fit when the Lord has given us uh, the Psalms for different seasons in our life, different emotions that we go through. Uh, You've had this experience. I'm sure if you've done any kind of reading or praying the Psalter, you kind of hit some of those about earthly enemies and the things that David's going through, and you're like, ah, well, that's not really where I'm at, uh, and I don't really want to be there. Uh, but, But what's important is that the Lord has given us something in and through his promises that we can return to when we need it the most. And this is one, I think, that we would frequently find ourselves turning to because it gives us a way in which to deal with our disorientation. So I want to back up uh, into Psalms 88 and 89 that that close book three. This is the end of Solomon's reign. And as you remember, Solomon kind of got himself in some trouble. In fact, he got the kingdom in some trouble. uh, And ultimately, it leads the people uh, into exile eventually as the kingdom is rent in two. Psalm 88, if you don't remember, is the one that they call the unresolved psalm because it doesn't, like most of the psalms, have any sort of conclusion to the suffering that it's speaking to. So I want to read a few verses to you from Psalm 88. This is verses 13 through 18. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround is of particular note. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And then Psalm 89, as it goes on, it's fairly lengthy. We'll just read the end of it to see kind of the, what, what's, the, what's the tone here. This is verses 49 through 52, or 46 through 52. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, or the grave? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Bless the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So this gives us the context of disorientation, right? Uh, So if you didn't know, the the Psalms, again, another principle that's important to know, they're not linear. They're not intended to be uh, uh, following a historical movement in exact fashion. No, the Psalms were uh, put together by a Holy Spirit-inspired editor. 
and chose to place them where he did in the power of the Holy Spirit so as to, to be able to comfort the people of God. So this would have been uh, the loss of everything they knew. They were heading into exile. Uh, they, they, were, they were going to lose their government. Anybody concerned about that? Maybe a little bit. They were going to lose uh, uh, what they had trusted in. Everything was changing. They were looking around at their society uh, going, what is going on here? What on earth are we doing? What happened to the old ways? What's wrong with the youth today? They were saying the same exact things that I think many of us, many of you, uh, we all might be saying in some form or fashion even now. So it's interesting, wouldn't it make sense that if you were going to choose a guide to help you with what you should do next in that kind of disorientation, but Moses, who knew better life in the wilderness and how to, how to stay faithful to God as, as he moved through things, how to remain steadfast in the Lord when everything around you was, was, was wilderness and not promised land. And a bunch of grumbling folks. Who would be a better guide to help us function in exile, in disorientation, than Moses himself? This is the only psalm that's attributed to him. Now, we don't know if he actually wrote it or if the editor just thought, man, if Moses was going to say something to us in in a prayer, this is what he would say. And so this opens book four to help us uh, see what do we do when we find ourselves in disorientation or decenteredness. Now, I want to open with a question for you. When you feel disoriented, what do you do? How many of you grab your phone as if that's somehow the most orienting thing you could do is to either get lost uh, on some app or try to find some answer somehow, some way from some news agency that's somehow, some way, quite possibly, maybe even just a little bit objective. Who has the answers if not Google? Right? How many of you turn to food or drink so that you can just get lost? You just want to forget for a little while. And, and, and really, what does that do in terms of helping your disorientation? Does that help you get, I mean, I've done it. I don't know, the chicken wing reset may be the closest thing we have to reorienting via food. It doesn't really change the circumstances, but I feel a lot better about it. So we we need to recognize what is it, what is our natural inclination? What is, which way do we step? Do Do we turn to or put the onus on or burden on someone to fix our problem? As Josh said, do, do, do we look to a person, a man or a woman? Uh, do, we, do we look to some sort of authority to, to try to help navigate our disorientation? Well, what, what Moses, or the author of this psalm, is calling us to do is in your disorientation, the first thing that you should do is orient yourself around the character of God. Right? Notice what he does. He says, Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now think of the weight of that from Moses. Where did he spend the the vast majority of his life? In exile. Did he make it into the promised land? Did he see uh, the, the, the wonderful architecture and buildings that would come? No. 
In fact, he was denied the promised land because of a mistake that he made. He sinned against the Lord his God. And, and so for, for him to be able to articulate this and say, Lord, you've been our dwelling place, that means something. He has seen the wilderness. He has seen slavery. He has seen uh, the darkness of the heart of man. And he goes on, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he's orienting himself around the fact that God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and will be forever. And amen, that is good for us. Because he is good, steadfast in love, merciful, slow to anger, forgiving. So uh, again, I want to encourage you to memorize Exodus 34, 6, and 7. That is God's declaration of his own character. And if we need reorienting or orienting, that's the best place we could go. And so here we see that this, the first thing we want to do in our disorientation is, all right, well, well, let me fix myself on the, the, the point that's not going to change. And remember how Christ is this as well. Christ is the embodiment of the characteristics of God in the world, right? And we are granted uh, uh, his righteousness, which means we too can display these same characteristics as God's people. And so we have an opportunity to keep each other oriented. But how often are we actually pointing to these things? How often are we first, before we go giving our advice, before we go saying what we think the best solution is or what we think the problem is even? Notice he hadn't even stated what the problem is. He know, we know there's something wrong. But the first thing he does is make sure, let's make sure that we're fixed around who God is before we go offering any further advice. This is a way in which we could serve one another quite well as the people of God. Right? You may not know how to help somebody with a circumstance involving their child or an aging parent or a job situation or a cancer diagnosis. But what you can do without wavering is help people to orient themselves around who God is so that we can watch for and, and reorient ourselves in obedience to his promises, right? So how then should you live if your days are short? How then should you live in light of exile, wilderness, whatever it may be? And so he begins here, and this is instructed to us. Listen to what uh, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says about this. He says, this opening of the psalm corresponds to the close, in that God is seen here as our God, whose eternity is the answer, not simply the antithesis to our homelessness and brevity of life. Did you hear that? God being eternal and being who he is, is the only, the only solution there can be to how short this life is and there being any meaning in the shortness of this life. And not to mention, it's not just short, is it? There's also toil and trouble. Y'all thought Shakespeare said that. He was just riffing off Psalm 90. And so, and so we recognize that even in the brevity, there are some sweet times, but there is a lot of pain, is there not? There is a lot of, that needs reconciling and a lot that's very confusing. 
And so this is helpful to us. So I ask you, what impact does it have on you to know that God is eternal, unchanging, and most importantly, good? How does that affect how you view things, or how should it affect how you view things? So we pick back up with a lament. And now what we're going to see here is some beautiful poetry. He's going to uh, walk through the devastation of just the fact that there is death and the fact that there is sin. So sin and death, if you think about it, are the most two, two most disorienting things that we know. What are the reasons why we have problems with reconciliation? What is it? Well, sin. What are the reasons that we are fractured even within ourselves? Sin. What is it that causes us to long for something more when someone dies? That death, surely this can't be all there is. Right? So, so this is a very important thing that this, this orients us in this way. And so he's going to walk through being honest. And this is a place where often pastorally, I find that we're missing a wonderful opportunity. Too often when we pray, we pray very dishonestly. We're not telling God what we really think as if he already didn't know. We're not, we're not opening our throats and complaining the way the psalmist do. Have you ever prayed like Psalm 88 or 89? Have you had the courage to tell the Lord, our God who is unchanging and good, this can't be the way it should be. How long are you going to leave me in this, Lord? Do you think that is irreverent to trust that, that God can handle your disorientation and anger and frustration and fear? The mere fact that you're coming to him at all is evidence that there is some measure of trust and faith there, is it not? And so it's important that we recognize we have the liberty uh, to, to actually clear our throats, as it were, before the Lord our God. So long as we are oriented around who he is and ultimately what, they, what we think that means. Do we go before God and demand and he have to, like a cosmic candy machine, respond to us? Do we have that kind of power? No. But he is a loving father. And he wants to bless his children, right? Think about what Jesus said. He was like, what, what kind of dad, when a kid asks for some bread, you give him a snake? What kind of weirdness is that? And so the Lord our God longs to hear from us, his people. And you may say, but, but I thought he already knew. Yes, but you don't seem to already know. And you don't seem to know, we don't seem to know frequently, how's this going to work out? And so, listen at how it just increases with, with the beginning of each poetic piece. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. That's just death. The, the, the mere fact that death exists is a whole reason that Jesus came. Not for Lazarus' tomb, he bellowed. Did Jesus not know he was going to walk out of the tomb? He did. But it was still not the way it's supposed to be. And he knew that Lazarus would die again someday. And that he would be the resurrection in and of himself. And so Jesus is not just doing that for effect. It shows us that, that death is actually worthy of grief and disorientation. And so uh, here Moses says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. And this is where God is different than us. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So he's essentially saying, we are unlike you. We are finite. You're infinite. That is very important for us to keep in mind. He then goes on with the next poetic piece. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. 
Why do you think he chose that word? What would he be trying to get them to remember? Right? The Noahic flood. The circumstance in which sin was costly. And yet there was a promise, if you remember, in the flood. In fact, there were those who were saved within that ark. And that's that, that strange passage uh, in Peter where he talks about baptism and how Christ is a part of that. And so there's a sense in which whenever there is judgment, always remember there is, there is redemption. Judgment and redemption go together. And so he says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So, uh, to quote Robert Frost, nothing gold can stay. Even if it's beautiful in the morning, eventually it will become disenchanted. It will fall apart. Things fall apart. Things die. Think about how disorienting that is for us to, be in, to, to come against that over and over and over again. He says, for we uh, are brought to an end by your anger. Notice the, the increasing level of, of how personal it's becoming. We are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. So he's moved on. Not just, it's not just about death anymore. This is also about sin and how it haunts us, how it, how it is destructive to us, how it, it disintegrates our relationship with each other, ourselves, creation, and God. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So he sounds a lot like the book of Ecclesiastes talking about the brevity of life and how that affects meaning. And this leads to a question. Anytime you see a question in scripture, you should stop and pay close attention to what's being asked and what the answer will be. So what we have here is a perspective, a disoriented perspective that's been honestly confessed and lament. It would be bad for us to turn this into uh, an everyday theology, right? Because he's actually going to say that there's some good that can come, but something has to happen. So notice the question that he asks. In light of all that's going on, in light of all the struggle and the disorientation, he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath, now this is the important qualification, according to the fear of you. So this is a very important qualification because he's essentially saying, is there any hope? If sin and death are the the norm in this world, in a fallen world, it is the norm, right? Sin and death are the norm, And God is holy. And and God's holy response to sin and death are wrath, the just punishment that is due. What hope do we have? Well, according to the fear of God, according to our reverence and awe for who he is and knowing his character, that he is good, that he is steadfast in love, that he is slow to anger, that he is forgiving and merciful and just... What's the answer? Jesus. The answer is that Jesus has considered the wrath of God. Jesus has embodied the character of God. 
And Jesus has uh, taken on the full just punishment due our sin and applies it to us according to the fear of God. Faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And so it's interesting the psalm doesn't end there. Notice what he says next. So based on the fact that we actually can have hope, given the, the reality, uh, disorienting reality of sin and death, let's reorient. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What he's saying is, with what it is that you have granted to us, O Lord, it is you who have given us these days. Help us understand how we might live in hope of you. And notice where these days will be lived for these people. Where? Exile. Not in some pluperfect circumstance. Not where everything is going to be rosy and taken care of. Gas prices are going to be high. Quantro is going to cost more than it should. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that Jordan gave me that one this morning. Uh, you know, it's just things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Right? And, and so, so how then should you live? Should, should we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Should we, should we like uh, Camus, ask, mm, why shouldn't I just go ahead and blow my brains out now? It's a foregone conclusion. I know that's dark. But it does haunt the edges of our hearts in its darkest moments. Let's just cynically, just, let's be destructive. Let's be nihilistic. Are these ideas not at work in our world these days? Well, what the psalmist is saying is, no, we should ask for wisdom. We should pursue Christ. We should seek uh, the fruits of repentance and the fruit of the Spirit. The answer to the question is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that should occupy you such plenty enough that it would help to define your days. Listen to what he says as he goes on. Return, O Lord. So he's not saying we want to stay here forever. This world's perfect. He recognizes the brokenness and fallenness of this world. He longs for God to be present with us, his people, but that can't happen until Christ returns. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Notice the comparison here to the grass that is beautiful in the morning and just disappears by evening. He is saying, while that is true apart from the Lord, this is true in the Lord. We can be so refreshed by the steadfast love of God that our days aren't meaningless anymore. And he says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evils. He's saying, don't let the, the things, the, the sin of this world, the brokenness of this world, the fear of death, the, the way in which we are haunted and disoriented, don't let that define all our days. In fact, we could say along with the, the, the prophet Joel, would you restore to us the years the locusts have taken? And he says, let your work be shown to your servants. Now listen to this next part. This ties into what Chris uh, had for us last week. And your glorious power to their children. So think about this for a second. If you're going into exile, what hope do you have for the next generation? Are you even sure that we will be around as a people? 
Like our, our responsibility, whether in, in the promised land or exile, is to ensure that the next generation is able to worship the Lord our God, to know who he is, know his character, know his works, know his deeds, so that they too, when they become disoriented in a fallen world, will know how to orient and reorient. And so this is a very hopeful thing for him to say, given the, the historical circumstance. Are we express cultural moment Hopeful in any way, shape, or form. Now, save the, well, I'm just being honest uh, stuff, because that's true, but know what you're being opinionated. Because all of us see through a glass darkly. None of us can prognosticate exactly what's going to happen. One of us is bound to be right every now and again and shouldn't get paid for it. That's called meteorology. And so, <laughs> and so we want to check ourselves. How are you talking about the way things are? Let me just be very clear here so you don't think that I am in la-la land. I, I don't think things are getting better. And I think things are going to get a whole lot worse in, in the weeks and months ahead. In, in any number of ways, I have no way of guessing. I'm already paying way more for gas than I did a year ago or two years ago. Uh, groceries are killing us, and we don't even have kids at our house. And try to buy a house right now. What is going on out there? Try to rent something right now. Oh my God, my God. How long, oh Lord? And we're just so fractured and, and, and so divided. I get it, right? But I don't think there's an earthly solution. I just don't. I think we can be part of a better solution for the next generation so that they would know the Lord our God. That is the whole point of the story, you understand, is to make sure that the family gets bigger, not that the family stays comfortable. Right? Not, not that we would, would get all that we want, when we want it, how we want it. I get that. Now, I don't want to suffer any more than anybody else. My hip's been aching me, and I told Susan, just cut it off. <laughs> well, get me a stick. It won't hurt. So I, I'm, not, I'm not quick to want to suffer, but I know that in union with Christ, in union with God's people, we will. And so it's very important that we make sure we keep our eyes fixed on the right horizon. Remember how Paul says it. Look not to the things of the earth, look to the right hand of the Father where Christ is seated on high, who if you have been resurrected with him, and that's the qualification, you've got to confess, I am resurrected with Christ. Then, then, he who has your life hidden on high, it'll be revealed when he comes in glory. You now have the power to mortify the thing that is destructive to you, the, the sin that so, so quickly ensnares us in our own flesh, and vivify who Christ is, who God is through Christ to us for the next generation. And then he goes on to say, let the favor of the Lord, and this Hebrew word could also be beauty. Let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Anytime you see that kind of repetition, he's really driving the point home. So in the midst of disorientation, Moses shows us that we are to orient around the character of God, the fixed thing that is unchanging, the firm foundation on which we rest. And then we are and have the ability to be honest in our confession about what we think is wrong, 
Right? Where, where else would you want to have your thinking critiqued if not before the Lord your God? Where else would you gain wisdom if you weren't putting yourself before him and out there and letting it be known what you're wrestling with? And then notice the, the solution is, is hopeful. A hopeful reorientation around the promises of God in which we say, Lord, let us be obedient according to who you are, not what this world is. Because this world is changing and passing away. And it is an interesting thing that he says, let the favor or the beauty of the Lord rest upon us. Think of the imagery of Christ. Think of the imagery of the Holy Spirit. In the imagery of Christ... We are not further unclothed. No, we are further clothed in the righteousness of Christ because death is swallowed up by life, not the other way around. Notice that when the Spirit rests upon us, it's like a tongue of fire. We become the temples of the Holy Spirit. So again and again and again, there's these images of the beauty of the Lord resting upon us and establishing the work of our hands. This should be our concern in disorientation. This should be the focus of our our, our prayers and our efforts and our energy for life in a fallen world. The Holy Spirit knew that the, the the church or the people of God back then, they were going to need to be reminded of how then they should live, of, of how they should orient themselves. Praise be to God that he gives that to us. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this. He says, we come and go. Isn't that true? We come and go. How many people have have, have come and gone in your life? Whether it's they've passed through death or they just moved on or you don't hear from them no more or they got off of social media and you can't tell them happy birthday anymore. (laughs) Apparently. We come and we go, but the Lord's work abides We are content to die so long as Jesus lives and his kingdom grows. Since the Lord abides forever the same, we trust our work in his hands and feel that since it is far more his work than ours, he will secure it in immortality. You know what he just said? Revelation 19, the the bride of Christ will be clothed in the righteousness of the saints. That means that what we do here matters. We don't get to determine what he approves or receives, but we do get to participate in a way that has eternal implications, which is why we read what we read for the assurance of pardon. If we can sing with with Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Then we can also know that we labor not in vain. He goes on, when we have withered like grass, our holy services like gold, silver, and precious stones will survive the fire. So how do God's promises encourage you to obedience and help give your life meaning? And if you say, well, I don't really think about it, that is a good first confession. It is not a good place to stay. We should be frequently orienting ourselves around the character of God. We should be frequently meditating on the the person and work of Christ, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, 
so that we can be honest about what we see going on and what we're struggling with. Instead of trying to pray pious prayers that are only, only uh, important to you. Right? You think God hasn't heard the best of what language has to offer? You think you're going to roll in and out Shakespeare, Shakespeare, or, or, or outdo Eugene Peterson? Calvin? No. No, it's just, it's, it's, it's babble before the creator of the universe, except for he loves you. Just like when we, you know, have a, a child say something. Or I'm going to confess this. I love Grogu on The Mandalorian. And when he makes those little child noises, oh, I just, I don't know. I, I teared up in this last episode a little bit. I'll be honest with you. A friend of mine bought me a Grogu. It's hiding in the closet. You'll never see it. But we, we think about it. We, we love that innocence, and we, we, we love the, the fact that there's any sort of thing coming our way. Well, God, our Father, loves us so much. It's not, he doesn't need our content. He created it all. He longs for our hearts. He longs for our presence, which is why he's done what he's done in Christ, so that we can boldly come before the throne in a time of trouble to receive what we need, both mercy and grace. Mercy for your sin Grace so you can go on. So let's be Psalm 90 people. Let's be those who know how to pray when we're disoriented, who know how to pray for others when they're disoriented. Let's be quick to orient ourselves around the person of who God is, his characteristics that are eternal and unchanging and what is best for this world. Let us be quick to be honest in prayer. Let's stop with all the pontificating before the throne. What little we come before, you're wasting your time. Let's instead be honest about venting our spleens and our disorientation to the one that we know can do something about it because we have hope, because we fear the Lord our God. We love the Lord our God. And may that actually be our testimony and witness to the generations. How often have uh, coming generations looked at us and said, Whatever you guys are hoping in, I have no interest in. I don't see any evidence of it being anything good. And we can say, well, you don't know nothing. Or we could seek to orient ourselves around what is eternal and good and true and may actually move their hearts and minds toward the Lord our God, toward something meaningful. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray for us. We have one last song. Let me remind you. We have to get out of here very quickly before they start shooting. No, I'm just kidding. They're not going to do that. But we got to get out of here quickly, so we'll need your help with the chairs. And we will not be able to hang around inside the building because they've got stuff to do for Big Shanty. So we want to be good, hospitable neighbors to our friends. So help us with that. Uh, we will have to tear down some, but uh, just on your mark, I'll pray. We've got one more song and then announcements and benediction. All right? Father, thank you for who you are that you are steadfast in love, you are slow to anger, you are merciful and gracious and just. You decide the boundaries of, of how far sin and evil can go. You decide the boundaries of death even itself. and the resurrection, it is blown wide open. It loses its victory. It loses its sting. Amen. Thank you that that is true for us. 
God, thank you that we can come boldly before your throne and be honest. We don't need to be irreverent, but too often we're trying to impress when that is not at all what you want from us. What you long for is is our, our honest hearts. What you long for is our trust and hope in you. Help us do that, Lord. Would you place your beauty upon us in the person and work of Christ? Would you indwell us with the beauty of the Holy Spirit so that it would establish the work of our hands? Yes, Lord, please establish the work of our hands for the generations that are coming. For your glory, our joy, and for the life of the world. Amen.